Tonight I'm going to preach a message that I like to call one of my monkey wrench sermons. It's not going to be something that maybe you need right now, or, or it may be. But it's going to be something that you can use all through your life. There are some tools in a, in a mechanic's toolbox that he reaches for and uses more than any other tools. And this is going to be one such tool. I'm going to give us a title tonight that only encompasses three letters. Three letters. But in these three letters, there's a powerful message that every Christian in this room needs to embrace. The three letters ought to be what drive us. The three letters sum up much of the New Testament. They're found over and over and over again. Here they are. I O U. I O U. Would you say that with me? I O U. Would you say it again? I O U. Three letters that I believe are the theme of Jesus' life. Now, though Jesus Christ is God and He doesn't owe us anything, He came to this earth, He made Himself a man, He walked on this sod, and He went to the cross with that attitude. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. And yet over and over again, in the garden, on the streets, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, down at the sea, over in the court of Gabbatha, even hanging on the cross, after his resurrection, he manifested these three words and this philosophy, I-O-U. Just three simple letters. I, I wanted to write it down. Uh, I want you to put it down on a little uh, post-it note. In fact, Brother Connor, would you go get some post-it notes? Do we have enough? We need enough for everybody here, and we need some pens. So could you, you guys go do that? Get us some post-it notes. Just three letters. I want you to put this down. I want you to put it in your Bible, and I don't want you to forget it. Now, this is not the world's philosophy, not at all. It's not the philosophy of the flesh, not at all. It's not the mindset of Satan, not at all. I-O-U. That's the philosophy of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The mindset of the world, the flesh, and the devil is this. You owe me. What can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of my family? What can I get out of my parents? What can I get out of my church? What can I get out of my society? And we've raised an entire generation of people that have their hand out. That's what guts a society. That's what destroys a culture. That's what brings down a mighty, uh, a, a mighty fortress down upon itself. A philosophy and a mindset that says, you owe me. It's the welfare mentality. You owe me. A friend of mine who's a preacher down in Charlotte after a recent election, a few elections ago, he said, you know what I believe, Dwight? I said, no. He said, I believe that socialism is a wall to the gospel. He said, I live in Charlotte and I minister in a welfare culture mindset. And the mindset is, you owe me. And the gospel is completely undeserved. He said, it's a wall to the gospel. So by the way, no Christian ought to be voting for some socialist at all. 
No Christian, no matter what they've been promised, ought to be voting for somebody that comes down the pike offering free college and free cars and free tires and free everything. Just passed out some post-it notes or some pieces of paper. That'll be good. You, you ought not vote for it because it's really an antithesis of everything that is in the Bible and is in the New Testament. Not you owe me, but I owe you. I want to show us five simple passages of Scripture in the New Testament where this is borne out over and over again. Look at Matthew 18. Notice, please, what the Bible says in verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Notice again, verse number 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, it doesn't exactly, uh, it doesn't exactly add up to, to the equivalent, but this 10,000 talents would be equivalent in our modern day to several million dollars. The man had accrued a debt that was far more than he could pay, and it was far more than he had, and he said, uh, he, the king said, sell him into the slave market, put him into debtor's prison until he pays back everything. And the man knew what that meant. It meant there was a, no light at the end of the tunnel. It meant there would be nothing but burden for the rest of his life. It meant he would be separated from his family and his friends. And he fell down at the feet of the king and said, have mercy on me and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant knew that he couldn't pay, knew that if he had a thousand lifetimes he couldn't pay, but he had compassion upon him and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. This is a beautiful picture of salvation. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, there's never been a time when the Holy Spirit of God has drawn you by his grace and you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again, then tonight you are this servant and you owe a debt far greater than you can pay, far greater than you can pay. It's a debt that is too great. Someone wrote the song and said, he paid the debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. The whole day long, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. I want to say this is a picture of salvation. It ought to stir us. It ought to thrill us. It ought to make our hearts overrun with gratitude that Jesus Christ was willing to pay a debt that I could never pay. Look here. If you had a thousand lifetimes and you were good in all those lifetimes, it still wouldn't be enough to pay the debt because there's only one thing that'll pay your debt and that's the death of, the, of a substitute. The death of someone who can die in your place and take your sin upon his account. And there's really only two choices that you have. Either you pay for your sin and die and go to hell and burn forever or you trust in the one who has paid for your sin and paid it all. Notice, I want you to understand that this is a beautiful picture of salvation. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. Number one, I owe you grace. Because look at what happens in the very next verses. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him ten and a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. 
And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee, uh, I will pay thee all. And he would not. He would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now again, a hundred pence was a fraction of what he'd just been forgiven. In the one sense, 10,000 talents, there were, there were uh, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. And in the other sense, we're talking a hundred pence. I mean, just a fraction of what he owed, just a fraction. And he found this man. He went out purposely to find this man that owed him a debt. And he said, pay me that thou owest. Now I want to ask this question to you right now. Who in this world has your hands around their throat? Who in this world has your hands around your, their throat and you're screaming in their face, pay up! Pay up! I wonder if tonight I'm speaking to some Christian in this place who is wrought and fraught with bitterness and unforgiveness. Pay up! You've got your hands around their throat. Pay up! And they owe you a fraction of what you've been forgiven. You say, preacher, I just don't think I can forgive because if I forgive, then I immediately have to trust again. That's not a Bible principle. As I mentioned a while back, trust is something that is earned. Forgiveness is something that is commanded by God. It's what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions, forgiveness. The original thought of forgiveness comes from the Bible, and it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from some philosopher way back when. It comes and is epitomized through the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. He said, pay up this servant who had just been forgiven millions of dollars and can't forgive a hundred pence. Verse number 31, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then, watch it, verse number 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Did you know what the Lord said to him? He said, oh, thou wicked servant. That's what the Lord Jesus said, says to anyone in this room that is not willing to forgive. He was a preacher. I've got a right to forgive. This person did me wrong. Maybe they did. But they didn't do you as wrong as much as you've done wrong to Jesus. Nobody's ever done to Dwight Smith what Dwight Smith has done to Jesus Christ. And yet God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. He said, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Think of this. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let me say it again. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How did God, for Christ's sake, forgive us? All right. He did it in spite of the circumstances. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't need to forgive. Jesus had been wronged. No one in this room was wronged like Jesus was wronged. 
And yet he forgave in spite of the circumstances. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, sometimes you just need to plead ignorance for your enemies. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, they know not what they do. He forgave in spite of the circumstances. Watch this. He forgave in light of the consequences. Think of it. If he would not have offered forgiveness on the cross, you and I would be of all men most miserable. We'd be headed to a devil's hell. We'd be still under a sacrificial system. As Gentiles, we'd still be awash in darkness. But he forgave in light of the consequences, and he forgave in sight of the crown. He realized that one day a diadem would be offered and placed upon his head. And the only reason that we can place a diadem upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his head is because of who he is and because of what he has offered. What a Savior. What a Savior is mine. Yes. You see it? And yet I'm speaking to some Christians here who still think they've got a right to hold on to your bitterness and hold on to your unforgiveness. Oh, my. Number one, I owe you grace. I owe you grace. And look at what he said. He said, O thou wicked servant, verse number 31. He said, Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? He said, I've given you an example. He said, I forgave you your debt just because you asked. Verse number 34, his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. Now, I don't have time to make this case tonight, but I could preach an entire message on how many, not all, but many physical problems. Are you listening to me? They don't come from diet. They come from wrong spiritual choices. Now, I'm not saying all, and I would never profess to be a doctor, but I could make this case over and over and over again throughout the Bible that many of our physical problems come from wrong spiritual choices. Pastor and I could keep you here until midnight tonight telling you of those who, who just held on to sin and would not let go of sin, and their life and their body was wrapped with physical pain and disease, and trouble. Why? Because they refuse to obey God. They refuse to get right. Again, not every physical problem comes from that. But I'm simply saying, what does he mean when he says he's going to deliver him to the tormentors? Sometimes those tormentors are physical pain. Are you ready? Sometimes those tormentors are sleepless nights. Sometimes those tormentors are just delivered over to the tormentors of hell and demons. You said, preacher, do you believe a demon can possess a Christian? No, but I sure believe they can oppress. And if a Christian will not respond to the Spirit of God in him, then sometimes the Lord allows spirits outside of him to torment over and over and over again. Why? Because he knows Bible principles. He sees Bible truth and refuses to obey it. Hey, number one, I owe you grace. He says, I'm going to deliver him to the tormentors. Oh, my Verse 35, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. You said, preacher, it's hard for me to forgive. Yes, of course. Otherwise, it wouldn't be forgiveness. No one would deny that it's, e or that it's hard to forgive. No one would claim honestly that it's easy to forgive. But it's right. Number one, I owe you grace. I owe you grace. I want you to say something over and over so that you get it cemented in your mind and heart tonight. Here it is. Say this over and over. No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Would you say that with me tonight? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Let's all say it together, shall we? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. I owe you grace. 
take your Bible, turn with me if you would to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to see this as a New Testament truth. It's all throughout the Bible. Philippians chapter 4. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, Philippians chapter 4 is dealing with some great promises, and that's a great promise. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But he comes down to verse 19, and he gives another promise, and he says, watch this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. <laughs> I love this. I absolutely love this. This is one of God's fantastic promises. Here it is. Are you ready? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's the promise. If you'll honor God with your finances and you'll give to him first and most, he'll take care of your finances. He'll meet your need. That's the context of Philippians 4.19. In fact, this is not one of those unconditional promises. This is one of God's conditional promises. That means a condition must be met. You say, what's the condition? Look at verse 14. Notwithstanding ye did well, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Paul was in prison when he wrote this epistle. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now watch, Paul is emphasizing their communication. Verse number 14, he said, Ye did communicate with my affliction. Verse number 15, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. What's he talking about? Boy, these church, these church folk over there at Philippi sure know, know how to write a nice letter. Boy, I'll tell you, they sure know how to send a nice text. Boy, those folks over there at the First Baptist Church of Philippi, I'm telling you right now, those people know how to reach out and give a phone call. Now, he's not talking about that kind of communication. Do you know what he's talking about? Nonverbal communication. What do you mean, preacher? You mean body language? No, I mean money language. Now, Philippian, the Philippian church wasn't a rich church. They didn't have lots of money. But he said to this church at Philippi, when you knew my need, you reached back in your pantries and in your storehouse and gathered for my need, even though you didn't have a whole lot. And because you did that, God's going to supply all your need. Look at what he says, verse number 17. Not because I desire a gift. Some people think that when a preacher gets up and preaches on finances, he's being greedy. Now, no doubt there may be some. But again, as I've mentioned the last several nights, just because the truth has been abused doesn't mean the truth should be discarded. And so just because a preacher like Creflo Dollar, uh, bless his heart. Do you know what bless his heart means? I know you're from Ohio, but down in North Carolina where I'm from or where I live now, bless your heart has a meaning. Now, on the surface, it's kind of a happy meaning. But down deep, it means this. They're too dumb to know any better. <laughs> That's what bless your heart means. And so Creflo Dollar, bless his heart, uh, could raise money like $65 million for his own private jet because he's too uppity to ride in coach. Well, of course that's a problem. And of course that brings shame on the name of Jesus. And of course he's a money-grubbing preacher. But most preachers are not like that. Most, most Bible preachers that I know aren't interested in that. He says, look at what he says, verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, 
Paul says, I'm not admonishing you and encouraging you to give because I desire a gift. He said, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That's the heart of every true God-called Bible-preaching preacher. He says, look, I'm not trying to heap something to myself, any praise or attention or gifts to me. He said, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I want you to be blessed. And why would we argue over this matter of giving anyway? Why would we do it? I mean, really, why? Why would we do it? I heard of a preacher in Florida years ago, and he had just taken a church. He hadn't been there very long. He was out in the community meeting people, and they were coming and meeting him, especially some of the folks from the church. There was a man that had come to the church to meet him one day on a Monday, and he had, he had been newly elected as sheriff of the town, and he was glad to talk about all his accomplishments. And he came, came to the preacher, was talking to him about all that he had accomplished, how long he'd been saved, how long he'd been in the church, and what he was going to do and not do. And this, this uh, preacher said, I, I was just kind of having a hard time with it all because he was so braggadocious. He said, and finally, just before he left, he said, now, preacher, he said, I just want you to know, I'm not one of those Old Testament tithers. And the preacher said, I had just about had enough. Now, folks, let me just teach you the first thing. Rule number one is never mess with a preacher on Monday morning. Never. Mm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is fine, but not Monday morning. And so it was Monday morning. He said, I threw back my chair. He said, I threw my feet up on my desk and I said, glory to God, I've been waiting all my life to meet a New Testament giver. He said, now in the Old Testament, they only gave 10% of everything they had. But he said in the New Testament, they sold everything they had and laid it at the apostles' feet. He said, now I think it'd probably only take you two weeks to liquidate your assets. He said, and here are my feet. He said, and if at the end of those two weeks you come, you can lay all your assets right here at my feet. <laughs> don't mess with a preacher on Monday morning. Just don't do it. Now, folks, listen to me. Why would we argue over something like this? Giving to the Lord first and most taps into his blessing to heap back upon us. Why would we argue about that? Why would we not want that? What a foolish thing to be stingy about. I mean, I get, I get being stingy to your mother-in-law. I mean, I get that a little bit. You know, I've got a great mother-in-law, but I, I get being stingy to your mother-in-law. And I, and I get being stingy to the neighborhood kid who's always causing problems. I mean, I get that. And I get, get being stingy a little bit to the, to the peddler who's, who's not looking for money to help his family, but he's looking for money to support his habit. I mean, I get that. But being stingy to God? Why would we even be that way? Why would we have that heart? It says, freely ye have received, freely give. It, the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with what measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. He says in the book of Malachi chapter 3, he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven. How do you prove the Lord? By bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. Why would we argue over 10%? Why wouldn't we say, oh, God, here's 10%. And the fact is, I'd like to give 20%. And, Lord, I'd like to give more. In fact, I want to give you a challenge tonight. Because, number two, I owe you generosity. I ought to be generous with you. With my time and my talents and my treasure. I ought to just, I'm telling you, I ought to want to just pour it out. And do as much as I can. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 says it's a sign of love. If I have to give and I don't give, how does the love of God abide in me? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says give, give, give. It's the principle of Scripture. And when you give, God gives back to you. 
In fact, you can't outgive God. Here's my challenge. I want you to go home tonight and take an envelope, every one of you, and put a dollar in that envelope and make that your prove God envelope. Then take that dollar out, and at the right occasion, when you sense the leading of the Lord, you give it. And you watch God give back that dollar and more. And take what he gives and put it down. And right on the outside, gave a dollar, such and such a date. God gave back such and such a date. After a year, you won't even be able to put all the money in that envelope. Promise. Guaranteed. You know why? God's got a bigger hand than you. My brother... He has five children, one of my brothers, and his oldest daughter, when she was just a little girl, was standing in a candy store with him out west. And they had been looking around. They bought a little bit of candy. And uh, Dan, Dan, he's, he's just a giver. Dan, my brother's just a real giver. And uh, so he bought some candy, had some bags of candy, and he said uh, to Jessica, well, it's time for us to go. And the store owner said, wait a second, wait a second. He said, hey, and he came out from around the counter, and he took a jar of candy, and he said, why don't you take some, sweetheart? to my niece, his oldest daughter. And she, she shied away and pushed up against him and Dan said, it's, it's okay. He said, I'm sorry, would, would that be okay if your daughter had some? Sure, sure, you can have some, Jessica, my brother said. She pushed up against him and acted shy, which she's not normally. And Dan said, finally, he said, oh, I'll get some. He reached in and grabbed a big handful and say, thank you, thank you. They walked outside. He said, what's the matter with you? He said, you're never shy like that. She said, I knew that you had a bigger hand than I did. <laughs> hey, hey, let me tell you something. God's got a bigger hand than you do. You can't outgive him. You can try, and it's fun to try, but you can't outgive him. Look at what he says, verse 18. Paul said, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, accepting, acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. What's this? This is that gift. Oh, what a, hey, let me ask you, have you ever been at a time of need? I mean, real need, and somebody could have given, and they didn't give, and just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. You ever been there? How about the opposite? Have you ever been at a time of need, and you weren't expecting it, and somebody out of the blue gave to you? Now, you know what you have over here? Not happy thoughts. You know what you have over here? Happy, happy, happy thoughts. <laughs> I mean, the kind that make you fly. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Because God blesses those who are generous. And that's a fact of life. Uh, that's a fact certainly within the church, but it's a fact of life. So I owe you generosity. No, 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 no. You don't owe me. Would you say it with me? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Would you say it again? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Take your Bible and turn back with me to Luke chapter 17, would you? Luke chapter 17 in the Word of God. Quickly, I want us to cover this quickly. I want us to see this because I believe this is to be such a life-changing, transformational truth that if we'll allow it, it will transform our marriages. If we'll allow it, it'll transform our homes. If we'll let it, it will transform our individual lives and our church. It could completely transform our society if we begin to live by the IOU principle. Now watch, Luke 17, 11, it says, And it came to pass, as he that is Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, these are lepers. Let me say, again, this is a picture and type of sin and salvation. 
Leprosy in the Bible was a type of sin. In fact, it was detailed in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus how it was to be addressed in the Jewish culture. It would start small with a little red spot that would get infected and it began to spread. It would attack the nervous system and deaden the nerves. After a while, it would maim and scar and it would be infectious. It was to be brought to the priest. The priest was to diagnose it. If after the second time he diagnosed it as leprosy, they were to be separated from their family and from their friends. This thing of leprosy brought all kinds of trouble, just like sin. Start small. It spreads. It attacks the nervous system. It deadens the feeling. It maims. It causes separation and sadness and heartache. That's what sin does. Right now, tonight, I wonder if you're here this evening and leprosy, the leprosy of sin whether you're saved or unsaved, has so infected you that you can no longer feel God and you can no longer sense God and you can no longer know God in the way that you once did. Oh, run back to the cross. Run back to the Savior. Run back to Jesus tonight. You see it? And that's where these men were. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these men. These men may very well have had moms and dads still alive, brothers and sisters that they were limited in seeing. They had to live in a leper's colony. When people brought them food or belongings, they had to bring them and leave them and walk away so that they wouldn't be infected. When they walked down the street, they had to put a cloth over their mouth and they had to ring a bell and cry, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the shame that it brought? And that's what these men were. And they heard about this one Jesus who could bring sight to blind eyes, who could bring strength to lame legs, who could bring life to dead bodies, who could make the dumb speak and the deaf hear and the demons cast out. And they probably got together and said, maybe if we can just get an earshot of Jesus, maybe if we can just get an earshot, an eye shot of him, if we can just catch his attention just for a moment, maybe he'll have compassion on us and have mercy on us. Maybe Jesus can make the lepers whole. And they got within earshot and they got within eyeshot of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Thank God our Savior hears and can do something about the cry for mercy. Some of you think that it's too far gone that you've sinned too much, that you don't think God can forgive you, that you think that it's way too much. I want to tell you, the ear of the Lord Jesus Christ is bent particularly to those that cry out for mercy. And you better cry out now before it's too late. Well, they cried out for mercy. And look at what Jesus said, verse number 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. Wow. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Now, I'm sorry if you don't like loud voices in church. <laughs> I'm sorry if you don't like loud preaching. I mean, not every preacher's loud. I'm sure some people are glad for that. But I'm sorry if you don't like loud praising and loud shouting and loud amening and loud singing. You better get used to it because it's going to be a part of heaven. With a loud voice, he was unabated in his praise. He was uninhibited by the thoughts of those around him. With a loud voice, he glorified God. In verse 16, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Oh, some of you men ought to take that text and preach a message on it. He was a Samaritan. Just take a text and figure out who in the New Testament was a Samaritan that, was, that came to Jesus and believed on Jesus and trumpeted his praises. 
Verse number 16, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Number three, I owe you gratitude. I owe you gratitude. First, I owe the Lord gratitude. I owe him a heaping, helping handful. And then I owe you. Someone said, when the flower of gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. I believe it. I've got a preacher friend in Monroe, North Carolina. He said, Dwight, I've known a lot of men in my life in the pulpit and out of the pulpit, and some of them have left their wife and kicked out of the trenches of their marriage vows and gone away from God. He said, but I've never known a man who was truly grateful for his wife that did that. Never. Why? Because gratitude is the spring of goodness and godliness. And if I'm truly grateful, I'm truly grateful to the Lord for what he's done. I'm going to be grateful to others around me for what they've done. Now, look, we can harp on our kids all day long, but how about if we say thank you to our kids? We can harp on our spouse all day long, but how about if we look them in the eye and say thank you? How about if you look at your Sunday school teacher and write him a thank you note? How about if you look at your Sunday school class and say thank you? How about writing your boss a thank you? You say, my boss? Yes, your boss. He said, well, preacher, I just don't know. How about if you, how about if you just fill your life full of gratitude? Gratitude is an attitude. And a gratitude attitude is a reflection of someone that's in tune with the Lord. Now watch. Ten men were lepers. All ten were physically cleansed. But note this, not all ten turned to give thanks. He with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his feet and gave him thanks. Notice verse number, verse number 16 and 17. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Don't you think that's a legitimate question? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger? Now hear this, not every person that experienced Jesus' physical miracles in the Bible experienced his spiritual cleansing. This man experienced both. Look at verse number 19. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He was not only cleansed, he was made whole. Why? Because he turned back and glorified God for what had just taken place. The others were cleansed. They went back to a normal life. No doubt that was a huge impact. But this man not only was cleansed, he was made whole. How? Through faith-filled gratitude. Gratitude is an act of faith. Gratitude to God for his goodness. And by the way, gratitude to God for the trials. Gratitude to God for the good times. Gratitude to God for the bad times. Watch. I owe you gratitude. Would you say it with me? No, 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 no. Would you say it? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Very important to get it down. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Would you quickly, Romans chapter 8. I want you to see, I believe this. If this, watch, listen carefully. This kind of philosophy and spirit and attitude, this IOU attitude, it'll transform a church. It's what builds a church. It's what attracts new believers and new blood to the church. 
It's what brings people closer in that church and makes them unified. When they have their heart right with the Lord, they say, I owe you grace. I can forgive. I owe you generosity. I can meet your need. I owe you gratitude. I can reach out and offer thanks to you in the good times and the bad. I owe you gratitude. Now we're in Romans chapter 8. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse number uh, Romans chapter 8. Notice please what the Bible says in this passage. He's speaking here in this passage about their need to be godly. And he says in verse number 12, therefore brethren, we are debtors. You see, I told you this is over and over. In the book of Romans chapter 12, it says, owe no man anything but to love one another. Owe no man anything but to love one another. We're debtors. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, you see this. Paul said, I am debtor. Here in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now notice, please, what he says in verse number 13. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And notice in verse number 12, he says, We're debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Now, this is really important. I'm going to bust open a can of worms right now that probably shouldn't be done on a last night of the revival meeting, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Here it is. I'm, I'm just going to do it, and I really don't care who's mad and, and made, made upset by it, so just buckle your seatbelt. Are you right? Here you go, men. I'm giving good marital advice right now. This will put the ladies crossways, but it'll be all right for just a moment. Here it is. Are you ready, men? Here it is. Here it is. Every woman in this place has one. You need to know about it. It's a stash of chocolate. Every one of them. I'm telling you, they like to deny it. They like to live in denial about it. But I don't care whether they do or not. Every woman in this place has them. Sometimes they just have them at the store and they go buy it at the store as soon as they get a free chance. Sometimes they have it in the freezer, in the back of the freezer. Some ladies have their stash in the chocolate or in the shoe box or in the hat box in the closet. Sometimes they have it in a, in a drawer, uh, the clutter drawer behind all the clutter so you can't even suspect it. But I'll tell you, every, now ladies, and look here, ladies, don't be coming to me after the service and say you got a stash of celery because ain't nobody going to believe all that. <laughs> nobody, nobody. <laughs> I don't care what, what you say. Every lady, sometimes it's dark chocolate. Sometimes it's Hershey's. Sometimes it's Dove's. Sometimes it's peanut butter filled. I'm just telling you, they've got it. And especially the ladies with a hard-nosed husband or a whole lot of kids. They just got to have their chocolate. And this is what they say. They say, oh, he drives me up a wall. I gotta have my chocolate. Or they'll say this after they've been speaking two or three year old all day to these little snotty nosed kids. They back out of the room and they say, I can't stand it anymore. I just gotta get away. And they're shaking, almost going through tremors, tremors. And when they see that the coast is clear, they dart off to the room or upstairs where nobody, or down into the basement where no one would suspect it, or out to the garage. And with trembling hands, they come upon their stash and they get their stash into their mouth. And just before they slip it in their mouth, this is what they say Oh, I need some chocolate. After all, I owe it to myself. <laughs> now listen to me, ladies. Any man with half a brain in this room would never begrudge a lady their stash. In fact, wise men replenish the stash. You understand what I'm saying? 
happy wife, happy life. Look, any man with half a brain knows that's a good thing. Replenish the stash, even if it's a long way past or before or until Valentine's Day. Replenish the stash. Somebody ought to start something on Facebook or Twitter. Hashtag replenish the stash. You understand what I'm saying? But watch now. We do the exact same thing with sin. Our flesh does. We say, oh, preacher, you're only here for a few days and not around Pastor Warnock enough to really know him. He won't let us get away with nothing around here. I mean, sure as you're standing here, he's going to get up on Sunday and point his bony finger and pound the pulpit and raise his voice and cry aloud against sin. We can't get away with nothing in this church. So we get out the door and we shake hands with the preacher and we smile and we get out to the car and as soon as we can and as first chance we get, we get away to our little stash of sin. And we say, oh, I mean, after all, I owe it to myself. Isn't that the way our flesh works? I mean, am I the only one that has flesh in here? And, and yet look at what the Bible says here in Romans 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if he live after the flesh, he shall die. You don't owe the flesh anything. No, you don't owe it to yourself. Yourself and your flesh never did you any good. It's the biggest foe you have. The one you look at in the mirror every morning. It's the one that will trip you up and cause you to stumble and turn away from God. You don't owe your flesh anything. Not anything. But oh, how we owe to you and to others Godliness. Number four, I owe you godliness. Godliness. I boiled it down, Pastor, that the greatest encouragement that I can be to you might be by giving. It might be by writing you a note. It might be by saying thank you. But the greatest encouragement that I can be to you is to live a godly life. There'll be days ahead when I talk to the pastor and I say, Pastor, how's so-and-so doing? Man, they came through the week. They came. They invited guests. They were there with bells on. They were there singing every night. How are they doing? You know what I don't want to hear? Silence on the other end of the phone. A cracking of the pastor's voice. I don't want to hear the pastor say, Oh, Dwight, pray for them. They've gone away from God. And I don't want anyone here to... Pastor, hey, Pastor, where's that little blonde-headed midget that came in a couple times in 2018? Oh, from North Carolina, whatever. What's he doing now? What's he doing? I don't want you to ever hear a pause in the pastor's voice and a quick turn in the conversation away to some other subject and a crackling in his voice. I don't want you to ever have to see a tear in his eyes as he hangs his head and says, oh. You won't believe. He's washed out on God. He's walked away from his responsibilities. He's gone away from the Lord and from his word and from his calling. The greatest discouragement I can be to you is to live an ungodly life. And the greatest encouragement that I can be to you is a godly life. And hear it, I owe it to you. We may never meet again. I pray that's not so. But if we meet a hundred times or once until Jesus comes, I pray that I will be a greatest encouragement that I can be. And you can hear someday when Dwight Smith has crossed the finish line that he finished well. Number four, I owe you godliness. No, 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 no. Would you say it with me? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Would you say it again? No, 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 no. You don't owe me. I owe you. Turn to Romans chapter 1 and we're through. Quickly, Romans chapter 1. It's very important that you get the order right. Very, very important. 
I was driving down the road one day several years ago, and my youngest son, Andrew, he was just, he was just three maybe, and I heard him say, no, 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 no. And I grabbed the wheel and thought to myself, he's been listening to my preaching. Glory to God. He said, no, 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 no. I don't owe you. You owe me. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> he needs a little, listen a little closer to my preaching. <laughs> now watch here. Here's the most important one. Oh, I saved the best for last. Look at Romans 1 verse 14. I am debtor. You see, there's that principle again. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Number five, watch me. I owe you the gospel. I owe you the gospel. You know what happens when churches go in decline and get away from these principles? It's because they've gotten a you owe me attitude. Preacher, you owe me a blessing. You better really deliver Sunday morning or I ain't coming back Sunday night. Preacher, you owe me something. Church members, you owe me. And people show up to church to see what they can get out of it and to see instead of seeing what they can do to contribute, how they can be a blessing. How can I lighten the load around here? How can I have a part? How can I be used of God? How can I get people to come? Or how can I be, how can I be a, an asset instead of a liability? Do you see? The IOU mindset is wonderful. And IOU above everything else, the gospel. The good news, watch it, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. IOU. I owe you. Everybody that I meet, I owe them the gospel. Everybody, not a few people. Everybody, I owe them the gospel. Years ago, I went to a good church. It really was good in many ways. But they were waning fast. They'd once had a heyday. I've told you about them earlier this week. God had used them in mighty ways. But they had a seminary attached to it. And the best thing that could happen is if that seminary closed its doors tomorrow. But there was a guy that was going to seminary and he happened to be teaching the Bible class in my Christian school. And he was fraught with a false doctrine called Calvinism. And this is what he said one day in Bible class. He said, now Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, now young people, does that mean go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every person you meet? No, 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 it doesn't mean that. He said, young people, if that is what it meant, We'd go crazy trying to give the gospel out. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what it means. Now, have you ever met anybody that passed out one too many tracks? What's wrong with him? Why is he in the loony bin? Oh, he passed out one too many tracks. <laughs> Couldn't handle it anymore. You got to put him in a straitjacket right afterwards. <laughs> have, you, have you ever met anybody like that? No, and you never will. What happened to him? He knocked on one too many doors. I, we tried to warn him, just cool your jets, but he wouldn't listen. Just had to go out knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. No, you have never met anybody like that. And yes, that's exactly what it means. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you know, when churches do, and when Christians do, God moves. Because the gospel is near and dear to his heart. 
It's what he did. He's the centerpiece of it. He is the messenger of it. He is the power behind it. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, that we'd have that heart. Oh, 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 that Calvary Chapel Baptist Church would no longer be satisfied with status quo. Oh, 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 that the people in it would not say it's for another church and it's for somebody else. Oh, that the older would not say to the younger, it's for this generation. I've done my part. Oh, that the younger would not point the finger at the older and say, it's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Oh, that all of us would throw our shoulder to the gospel and we would get the gospel out. Would to God this church would have a heart to once again give the gospel to every person in Minster and New Bremen and Sydney and, and, and Spencerville and Columbus and every place around. Would to God we'd say we're going to go everywhere with the gospel. I, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard that at one time this church was reaching all the way down into Dayton. Wow. I know of a church in Kansas that said, we're going to knock on every door and get the gospel to every home in Kansas. All 300. <laughs> but thank God for that heart. <laughs> Would to God we'd have some people in Ohio that say, you know what? We're going to knock, we're going to send, we're going to knock on every door of Columbus. Wouldn't that be something? And you know what happened? We're going to knock on every door in Minster. You said, preacher, now, we've heard the gospel enough. You know, a preacher friend of mine in Connecticut was over at a conference, and there was a preacher, are you sadly, from Greenville, South Carolina, well-known preacher, well-respected, sought-after Bible conference speaker, and this friend of mine in Connecticut was just sitting eating lunch with him. He said, so tell me how you, uh, how you do evangelism down there. How do you go soul winning? How does your church do that? He said, oh, we don't. He said, you don't. No, no, he said we don't. Because Greenville's gospel saturated. You know, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. <laughs> a friend of mine in 1996 did a survey. He had his secretary call every single church, gospel preaching and non-gospel preaching, in Greenville and Spartanburg and greater Greenville area, Simpsonville included. Do you know how many people were in church on a Sunday morning in 1996 in a of about 300,000. Are you ready? 19,000 in the buckle of the Bible belt. There's your gospel saturation preacher. Baloney. No place in this country is gospel saturated. No place in this country has enough of it. And no Christian in this city is giving it out too much. I owe you the gospel that Jesus died was buried and rose again and that the only way to heaven is by faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying that sparked revival fires will ignite once again in this place and amongst this body so that people, young and old, men and women, boy and girl, will go out into their workplace and out into their neighborhood and out in the community, regardless of whatever's happened in their life or in the past, and they'll say, we've got to get the gospel out. I'm praying that there'll be a fresh urgency, a fresh burden, a fresh desire, a fresh passion, and a fresh unction and power from Almighty God, so that this church will be a gospel light that will shine far and near 
all the way across Ohio, up into Michigan, over into Indiana, down into Kentucky, and that people will know one thing about Calvary Chapel Baptist Church. It's a gospel station, and the people in it are gospel people, and they preach the gospel every chance they get, and God's using them to reach people with the good news of the gospel. Would you say it with me? No, 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 together. No, 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 no. You don't know me. I owe you. Would you bow with me?